0: I'm gonna begin in 2 Corinthians 1 this morning where the Apostle Paul authors an apostolic letter to the rather naughty church in the city of Corinth. In fact, the general tone of the Apostle Paul's early letters to the churches is correctional in nature. And the reason for that is simple, especially in the city of Corinth, you're having all of these folks born again, saved out of radical paganism. They're coming out of the occult. They're coming out of witchcraft. They're coming out of licentiousness. They're getting born again, but they don't yet know how to behave. And so the Apostle Paul writes these letters where he starts off with encouragement. Here's a blessing. Here's what God thinks of you. Here's what your future looks like. Here's the opportunities that you have. And then he'll move from an encouragement into a rebuke. In the city of Corinth, he was like, y'all got to stop sleeping with everybody. Y'all got to stop getting drunk in communion. Y'all got to stop preferring the rich over the poor. Because if not, I'm going to come pay a visit to you, and you're not going to be happy when I arrive. And then by the time he reaches the end of his letter, he's back to an encouraging tone. Why? Because the Apostle Paul isn't just a teacher, he is a father. And when a father corrects, the intention and the outcome is not the crushed spirit of a son or a daughter. It's the development of their inner life. And so what Paul does is he sandwiches correction with the bookends of encouragement and in doing so develops a a, a, a kind of developmental dialogue with the early church. And we see this pattern in 2 Corinthians starting in chapter one and in verse one, Paul begins with an introduction. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by what? The will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with his holy people throughout Achaia grace and peace to you, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is opening his letter to the church saying this, it is the will of God for the church of God and the people of God to have grace and peace from the Son of God. Now, oftentimes in Christianity, especially if you've grown up in the church, you get used to hearing these spiritual terms week in and week out, but oftentimes they go undefined. And so we underrealize the significance of those terms in our lives. And I wanna define these terms from their original language in 2 Corinthians today, because I believe it can help illuminate the depth of what Paul is communicating. When Paul says grace and peace to you from God, that word grace in the Greek means this, a favor that is leading towards you. And when he uses the word peace in the Greek, It means a wholeness that comes from all the essential parts being joined together. Could I restate verses 1 and 2 for our context this morning? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the church of God in Snohomish, together with all his holy people throughout the Northwest, May a favor that leans towards you and a wholeness that comes from all the essential parts being joined together be made manifest in your life by God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to watch the pattern of scripture. For any time that you see a phrase, or a term repeated over and over. It's like the Holy Spirit is taking a highlighter and he's marking the text and he is saying, Do not forget, do not overlook, do not undersell, do not underrealize the importance of what's being communicated. Watch the pattern. To the believers in Romans 1 and 7. Grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Galatians 1 and 3, grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Ephesians 1 and 2, grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Philippians 1 and 2, grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Colossians 1 and 2, grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Titus 1 and 4, grace and peace to you from God. To the believers in Revelation 1 and 4, grace and peace to you from God. God. See, grace and peace wasn't just a fancy way to start a letter. It was the primary apostolic blessing for the early church. In fact, out of the 30 plus recorded apostolic prayers listed in the New Testament, grace and peace is the most often repeated phrase. And watch how the apostle Peter begins his letter to the church. He says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now, what does it look like for peace to be multiplied? I believe that it looks like experiencing what is already available in a much deeper way than you ever thought possible. Well, I don't think the church needs new truths. I think we need to believe old truths in a deeper way than we've ever believed them before. Oh, the peace of God doesn't grow. The grace of God doesn't grow, instead, I grow in my ability to receive out of what already abundantly exists and what if you could imagine the blessing of God from that perspective this morning I already live under the canopy of his outpouring I already live under the favor and blessing of God for my life it is the blessing that makes me rich and adds no sorrow I've already been given everything I need pertaining to life and godliness I'm not just praying for more of God. God is praying for more of me. I've already been given the abundance of heaven. It's not that God hasn't given me enough. It's that so often we haven't made ourselves available to experience the fullness of what exists all around us. Can I challenge you to view God from that perspective this morning. Take, for example, the disciples in Mark 4 who are crossing the Sea of Galilee when a great storm arises. All the while, Jesus, who is the very Prince of Peace, he is asleep in their boat. The disciples wake up Jesus in a fright, crying out, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus responds by rebuking the wind and saying to the waves, peace be still. But I want you to see this. The same Prince of Peace that was in the boat before the storm is the same Prince of Peace during the storm and after the storm. Yet the disciples marveled saying, who is this who can control the wind and the waves? See, when peace is multiplied in your life, it doesn't mean God has changed. It means you have changed. And in a moment, you suddenly become aware of what has always been available on your behalf. See, it's my prayer that as I grow, I would increase in my capacity to both receive and give what God has already supplied on my behalf. There was a story about a certain poor man who had spent many years saving money to finally fulfill his lifelong dream of going on an international cruise. When he had finally saved up enough money, he bought a ticket and prepared for his journey. Knowing he could not afford the extravagant food on board, he took what he could afford, crackers and cheese. Knowing he could not afford any of the luxurious activities, he bought, he brought what he could afford an old weathered deck of playing cards to keep himself busy as the days turned into weeks the man got tired of eating his crackers and cheese and the man got tired of playing solitaire all by himself desperately hungry and bored out of his mind, this man begged one of the crew members to allow him to work so he could afford good food and have access to the shows and activities. Perplexed, the crew member responded, sir, didn't you realize the meals and activities are all included with your tickets? You may eat and play just as much as you like. Oh, from that day forward, the cruise got much more enjoyable for that certain poor man who was for some time quite content to live so far below the level of his invitation is my conviction we got a lot of christians in the northwest who are living so far below their level of invitation can i tell you when christ hung on the cross on calvary's hill what his blood purchased was an all expenses paid ticket for every area of your life past present and future And see what the enemy does is he works overtime to convince you that you don't have what the Bible says you have. He tries to convince you that you don't have access to what the Bible says that you have access. When I call upon the name of the Lord, I boldly enter in to the throne room of heaven to receive what? Grace in my time of need. God has withheld no good thing from those whom he loves. He is the father of light. In him there is no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift It comes from the Father above. You are not a beggar, you're a born-again son or daughter. You're not a pauper, you're a prince of the high king of heaven. It's who you are, and it's because of who he is. I'm not second-class citizen. I'm not trying to beg scraps from the master's table. Hopefully God's in a good mood today. Hopefully, he's got a little left over for poor old me. And the enemy works overtime. Listen, I don't want to get to heaven and see all the things that I could have had access to if I simply had the faith to believe. To see all the things that were reserved for me that I never tapped into because I allowed the enemy to change the way that I thought about the abundance of heaven. I'm telling you, in the Northwest, we got an all-expenses-paid now what are we gonna do with it? See, I need to experience more grace than I think, why? So I can give away more grace in my future. See, I need to experience more peace than I have, why? So I can endure any storms that lay ahead. And then Paul says something very interesting. He says, I'm an apostle, of Christ Jesus, watch, by the will of God. Let me show you what is happening right before Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. Him and Silas find themselves in prison in the city of Philippi. They've been beat, abused, they're in stocks, in the center cell, and the Bible says at midnight, They begin to sing a song. Let me show you what is happening right after Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. Paul finds himself in prison again, this time in the city of Rome, awaiting execution by the hands of Nero. And Paul says, if you was looking for proof of my apostleship, here it is. I've been locked up beat up, left for dead, rejected, misunderstood, and persecuted. My resume is the scars on my back. But even after all these years, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now listen, was it the will of God for Paul to get beat up? Was it the will of God for Paul to get tortured by the Roman guards? See, some people's theology is so shallow and their view of God so deformed that everything that happens in life has to be God's will no matter how terrible it is. Cancer, God's will. Miscarriage, God's will. Abuse, God's will. Tragedy, God's will. Because if it happens and it wasn't God's will, then somehow that means God isn't in control. Hear me friend, there is a difference between what God causes and what God uses. God didn't cause your pain, but if you let him, he will use your pain for a redemptive purpose. It is time to stop blaming God for stuff the devil did. See, I don't have to guess about the will of God. If you read scripture, You will know the will of God. He desires that none should perish. He desires that the sick are healed. He desires that the lost are found. He desires that the church would advance. He desires that I would live a generous life. I don't ever pray, God, if it's your will, Would you please heal this person who is standing at the altar? Why? Because scripture says lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It is the will of God expressed on the pages of scripture to the church of God for the work of the ministry in our world today. Nothing will take faith out of the room faster than a person coming forward in prayer and an undeveloped altar worker saying well i'm gonna pray for you but i just have to make sure first it's the will of god to do the thing that you're asking well god i know they need a miracle I know they got a diagnosis. I know they are going through a divorce. I know their kids are far from God. So God, if it's your will, would you please help their child who's a drug addict? Would you please help that daughter who's lost her mind? Would you please help heal those cancer cells in their body? Nothing will suck faith faster out of the room than adding an unnecessary asterisk to the prayer of faith. The Bible says, pray the prayer of faith faith and it will heal the sick. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he does not say, pray this way. If it's your will, your kingdom come. If it's your will, then your will be done. If it's your will, then have it happen on earth as it's happening in heaven. If it's your will, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If it's your will, give us our daily bread. He says, our father who are in heaven, hallowed is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in this place even as it's being done in heaven. It was a prayer of declaration, not a prayer of maybe approaching God, hoping he's in a good enough mood to do what the Bible says he can do. Trust me, friend, it's the will of God. Now, I would submit to you, we may not always know the timing of God, But if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you never have to second guess the will of God. Now, Paul says, I'm an apostle by God's will. And because I am in his will, it gives me grace and peace for every storm that comes my way. You wanna survive the storms, good. Stay under the shelter of his wings. You want to survive the heartache? Good. Stay under the calling and the leading of his spirit. You want to survive the next season? Good. Find yourself living in the smack dab center of the will of God, and you will lack no good thing. See, maybe the number one question that I get asked when people find out I'm a pastor is they say, what is the will of God for my life? And the older I get, the more that I use this analogy, the analogy of an umbrella. I think God's will in many ways is a canopy of space that you occupy that outlines the boundaries of your free will decisions. And as long as you stand under the canopy, you are positioned to experience a grace and peace that is more than enough for everything that you face. No, God isn't looking to micromanage the affairs of my life. He is looking to pour out his abundance and equip me with wisdom so that my choices are reflective of the Spirit's transformative work inside of my heart. Where are we gonna plant next? Not sure, but I'm staying under the umbrella. How's that project or initiative gonna come together? Not sure, but I'm staying under the umbrella. Oh, who's the perfect soulmate that God has for me? I'm not sure, but I'm staying under the umbrella. For as long as you are under the umbrella, then like David, you can say the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. See, being under the canopy of his calling is the exact reason I can face tomorrow no matter what it brings. And what happens if I leave my canopy of permission? It's not that God removes grace or peace from my life. It's that I am no longer best positioned to experience the outpouring of grace and peace that is freely available for my life. I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking about the will of God like a laser pointer. It points at one specific thing. And if I make a mistake or I take the wrong step, or I go to Fred Meyer instead of Walmart, or Safeway instead of Albertsons, or I go to the 915 service instead of the 1145 service, then maybe, just maybe, I will miss out on the great and grand cosmic will of God for my life. And can I tell you, God is most honored when well-developed sons and daughters of him make free will decisions to honor the calling and the leading that is on their lives without needing an all seeing Pharisee to micromanage every step that they take. No, God's will for your life, it's a canopy. And there's multiple doors and multiple choices that you will make along the way. And sometimes we get caught in the loop of asking God what he wants. And I think sometimes he's asking us, what do you want? what you set your hand forth to do i will bless where you set the sole of your foot i will give you the land but god i just want what you want and god says what i wanted was you and now that i have you i've given you my wisdom i've given you my spirit and in fact you have the mind of christ so make the decision and watch how i bless your life from this moment forward It's a canopy that I live under. I know we're gonna plant on the east side. I think it's Kirkland, might be Bellevue, might be Redmond, I'm not sure. But I'm convinced that when we do, God will open a door that no man can close. And the same spirit that's here will be there. Well, what if he wanted me to plant on 124th and I ended up on 120th, oh, what are we gonna do? God is not having a crisis in heaven over what color of shoes you wore to church on a Sunday morning. He's not interested in micromanaging your affairs. If you were strong enough to screw this up, you would have. God has put peace, grace, blessing, mercy, and where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. He's already factored in every mistake that you made and still gives you a calling and an anointing that is irrevocable and without repentance. It's time to grow up in the Lord, be mature in the faith and start setting your hands To the plow and not looking back. Some of us, we get stuck in the paralysis of analysis. Well, I just want to make the right decision. And pretty soon we've been stuck in the, I just want to make the right decision zone for 20, 30 years. Well, God says, don't say four months and then the harvest, lift up your eyes. The fields, they are ripe. Watch verse eight, Paul says this. We don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia. Oh, we was under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So much so, we despised of life itself. Indeed, watch, we felt we had received the sentence of death but this actually happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. For he has delivered us, and he will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope, for he will continue to deliver us. I love the transparency of Paul. He said, let me give you an update from our last mission trip to Asia. We almost died. It was beyond reasonable. We was under great pressure and we were scared to death the entire time. In many ways, I feel like this is my testimony from the last nine years of church planting in the Northwest. And I love this. He says this, although we felt like goners, this actually happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God. Did you know that not everything you feel is true. No, every emotion is real, but not every emotion is true. And if you live your life using the evidence of emotion to make final decisions about what is true and what is good, it will result in an erratic, unanchored, undeveloped and immature faith. See, I know it felt like you was dying, but I'm glad you didn't give up because actually you weren't dying at all. You were developing the art of relying on God, not on yourself. And if you tap into the grace that you have already received, what you will find is a God who has delivered, will deliver, and continue to deliver on your behalf. Paul concludes this thought in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians. He wraps up this dialogue on calling and will and grace and peace with this sentence from verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now this verse won't make a whole lot of sense to you in the room this morning unless you understand the implications of what Paul is communicating. He is actually using a first century political practice to help describe the ethic of the way that God works in humanity. See, when Roman generals would come back victorious from war, they would march triumphantly through the busiest part of the city and they would show off the spoils of war as people celebrated and cheered. The priests would go first waving their incense back and forth. And as the fragrance would spread, people would peer out their windows. They would come out of their homes to see what all the commotion was about. Oh, they would hold relics and treasures. They would show off captured horses and cattle. They would display armor and weaponry, but most importantly, they would march the captives through the city streets so everyone would know exactly what was the spoils of their reward. But see, this analogy, it's been redeemed by Christ for he has captured you on the cross. He is marching you through every highway and byway in this region. He is letting the world know I had to travel to a strange land. I had to pay a high price I had to fight a few demons, but this one they belong to me This person is the reward of my labor and as long as they march under the canopy of my victory They will have more than enough for every season that lays ahead Oh friend, I'm here to tell you the morning that there's the fragrance of revival coming from this place. The wind is picking it up and it's carrying it to this region. It's the smell of fresh bread in the house. It's the sound of living water beginning to flow again. The procession has started. The priests are walking. The people have gathered. The knowledge of God is spreading and there is no telling where this parade will take us. Now thanks be unto God, who always leads us as his prized captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So I would end with this question today. Have you been captured by this Jesus? Not the God of culture, Not the God of pagan philosophy and ulterior worldviews. Not the God of sociological constructs or or political correctness. Not the God of angry religion. But have you been captured by this Jesus that Paul writes about? This Jesus that the Bible tells us the story about. Have you been captured by that Jesus? The one who shows you off with great pride. The one who covers you in blessing and abundance. The one who provides on your behalf. The one who has numbered the hairs of your head and the days of your life? The one who leads you in the way everlasting? The one who ensures that your steps will be solid? The one who enters into a covenant of mercy on your behalf? Have you been captured by that Jesus? because you don't need to ask today for more grace or more peace. You have more than you could ever use. But you must today come into an experience of the fullness that he has already provided so your life can be transformed into the image of this Jesus. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? I wanna pray for you today and in doing so, encourage you in the Lord. Father, I thank you for every friend across this room, for every believer watching live stream from around the world today. And God, I thank you that your word to them is grace and peace. A favor that leans towards them and a wholeness that comes from all of the parts coming together at the exact right time. I declare that apostolic blessing over your life, your family, your marriage, and your business today in Jesus' name. I declare over you the wonderful riches and the unsearchable glory of a God who is madly in love with you today. I declare over you that you will not fear death nor the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks by noon. But instead, the Lord will be your strong tower. You will run into him, and you will be safe. You are covered by his wings. You are surrounded by his pavilion. You are seated in glory. You are entrusted with heavenly riches. You are what the Bible says you are, and you have what the Bible says you have. I say over you today, wisdom and strategy. I say over you today, revelation and knowledge that you would sense and see the great plans and purposes of God for your life in this season. I bind confusion and I release the voice of God that speaks to you about the direction of your life. We receive it now today by faith in Jesus name. All God's people said amen and amen.